Hello, and welcome to the Mikposan podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, Chief Technology Officer of PlanView and best selling author of Project to Product How to Survive and Thrive in the Age of Digital Disruption and the Flow Framework. For the past five years, since publishing the book, I've seen the shift to digital transformation accelerate, with more and more enterprises recognizing this need to move away from traditional project based approaches and towards engineering centric and flow centric ones. However, most organizations are still struggling to match the agility and innovation of digital natives. So today, we're actually going to do something different for the podcast. We decided to turn the tables and have Debbie Conrad join me as the host of the show and ask me questions about a recent report that was published on the state of the project product movement. So with that, I'll leave it up to Debbie and let's dive in. All right. Well, I'm Debbie Conrad and I work with Mick. And today we're flipping the script on Mick Plus One and interviewing Mick himself. We're here to talk about the recently published 2023 Project to Product State of the Industry Report. And we're going to speak about the report today, its findings, its insights, and get Mick's take. We'll see if he can get used to answering the questions instead of asking them just for today. So Mick, welcome to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That'd be great to be, great to be You're here. You're welcome. Um, for anyone who isn't a regular listener or isn't as familiar with the concept of a product operating model, can you concisely define the shift from project to product? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've we've had this long tradition of managing software and IT and technology work as a set of projects. And the, what we know about projects, just at a really high level, is they have a start date and an end date, and you can optimize all the resources that you spend on them. And then once they're done, everything everything is good. You can you know now now put into maintenance mode or something like that. And for those of us who've been part of building software and digital innovation, we realize it's, it's actually nothing like that. These are long-lived product life cycles. These things are much more like when an airplane company introduces a new plane and then has to continue innovating in, around the design of that plane and has to manage a many-year-long life cycle of that plane than it really is around a, you know, building a bridge and being done with it. So this is something that digital innovators have realized already. This, this product operating model is exactly how startups, tech, tech giants, unicorns are actually already structured today. And it really lends itself well to innovation because you think of these stable product value streams that have a long-lived life cycle around delivering value to their customer. And by the way, that's exactly how product management also works for, for physical things, whether they're airplanes or watches or cars or, or those sorts of things. But it's very different than the way project management works, right? Where we basically throw work over the fence for someone you know, to build it in a, in a feature factory. So the shift from project to product is to actually bring those digital native practices of product management and understanding the economics around flow and improving flow and value to customer rather and, and really shifting away from the concepts that really work for project management, which is these economies of scale and resource management and tracking. And both have a place in an organization, but digital innovation, software, uh, and technology are really all around this product operating model. So that shift from project to product is really about how we install that model, how we move traditional organizations have come from project management, because IT often came from being a cost center, and into this product innovation that's all around delivering value to internal customers, external customers, and, and business partners. Perfect. Thank you. 
Uh, and so today, what we want to talk about is kind of an extension of your book that was published in 2018. So there's a recently published, like I mentioned, 2023 Project to Product State of the Industry Report. And what this report does is benchmark progress across the seven dimensions of change that are required to shift to a product operating model. So you laid those out in your book, um, and I'm just going to slightly restate them for anyone who might not be as familiar. So those dimensions are team organization and resourcing, how are teams funded and organized, customer centricity, uh, which is how teams identify their customers and systematically gather their feedback, the definition of value, how every team member defines the value they provide to their customers and to the business, backlog management and prioritization, how strong is the product management function, dependency management, how do organizations identify and manage their system constraints, Feedback speed, how quickly can customer feedback be incorporated? And delivery team metrics. So what is being measured? Is it cost, quality, Dora metrics, outcomes, et cetera? So the report includes uh, survey data where respondents chose an answer that described their current state in each of those dimensions. Then their answers were scored and their responses slotted them into one of five stages of project to product maturity. So the first was starting out where there's an intention to make the shift. The second stage is experimenting where there are small groups uh, or maybe teams trying out a product operating model, but it's not very widespread. The third stage is expanding where the shift is spreading gradually, but still it's quite uneven across the organization. Uh, the fourth stage is operationalizing, operationalizing where the shift is maturing and is reaching critical mass within an organization. So that's really where companies start to see an ROI on their transformation. And the fifth stage is approaching maturity. So this is where work is linked to strategy, product management discipline is strong, feedback's incorporated quickly, and companies are measuring value and outcomes. So this survey incorporated data from 326 respondents who came from over 253 unique companies. And as well, it includes systems data from over 3,600 value streams in over 30 different organizations. So these two kinds of data give us uh, a view both of how folks self-assess themselves in their maturity, as well as what's really happening on the ground, which is what we can see from the systems data. So with that long preamble aside, Mick, can you describe for us uh, what the report found and why these findings might be of particular interest to boards, to C-level leaders, and to technology and product leaders? Yeah, I think, Debbie, the findings here, I think, are very timely and relevant. And as you said, it's been five years. Organizations have, you know, even you know, Gartner was saying in 2018 that organizations are shifting from project to product. Various analyst firms uh, and other surveys have tracked the shift, and it's a really significant shift. But what's, I think, so important about the findings from this report is, is a couple things, right? One is, it's, it shows the state of adoption. So often... What we see is presentations on stage of how well things are going at various conferences and webinars and those sorts of things. But in this report, we actually got to dig into the data and we got to unearth, well, really, what, what stage and how far along are these organizations? Maybe all of them say they're shifting from project to product, but how much success are they having? And then, of course, what are the factors that determine that success? And then I think the thing that I find so important about this is that we did have the opportunity to see what happens when you combine the, the systems data from actually measuring value streams, kind of the ground truth of those value streams with survey data. Because I think, as, as we all know, so many of these uh, reports are, are just purely based on survey data, which is very meaningful. But I think that it's that combination of the actual data that was taken out of the collaboration, the team tools, that makes this, I think, very important. 
and that provides some additional insights that I think are really key for listeners to understand and to really internalize in terms of where they are tracking on their journey uh, and really where their peers are headed. So the highest order thing for me definitely in this report is, is what's happening in terms of this, this kind of this adoption curve, right? Where organizations are, are identifying themselves in terms of their maturity and also, you know, what data we're seeing that, that tells us where they are in their, in their maturity. And so I think, you know, Debbie, you, you identify these stages. What I think is so key is kind of the curve that we're seeing of, of those stages, right? Is that so many organizations are just frankly stuck in the earlier stages. Right, where you've got seventy percent, and of course we'll link all the uh, all the data and the summary of the of the survey. But seventy percent starting out, and then forty six percent in experimenting, and it's really only six percent who are operationalizing it. Right, and really, of course, what we know is you're not seeing all the benefits until you actually start operationalizing, and then two percent, just two percent of organizations are approaching maturity. Now. I think for me, for a lot of people behind value stream management and the, and the project to product movement, this is this is a really, is a, I don't know whether we say it's a problem or a challenge, but it's it's something we really need to focus on because when you've got organizations out there who are already operating in this way, which is most technology organizations, especially all you know, definitely all digital natives, uh, and when you've got other organizations who are getting stuck in the early stages, it really becomes all about how do we help you accelerate getting through those early stages, and. So often, and I've seen this anecdotally as well of, with a lot of the organizations I work in, there's an attempt, there's a pilot, there's a POC, uh, and then the attention turns elsewhere. And, and really, organizations, are they, they think they're on the journey. They actually identify themselves as shifting from project to product. And when we dig in to seeing where they're at, they're nowhere near there, right? They've got, there's agile teams deployed, but... Between the metrics, the methodologies, it's they're nowhere near what good looks like in terms of an organization that that has mature product management practices and practices around measuring flow. So, I think the number one thing for every technology leader listening to this is to basically make sure that you you start with the end in mind. So, the project, the shift from project to product, installing a new operating model is not about experimenting endlessly for two years or three years. It's about understanding how you get to that finish state because that finish state is what enables innovation. And we know that finish state, also this is very anecdotal, not survey-based or, or data-based, but it's an order of magnitude or two faster that organizations have these practices in place can move in terms of delivering value to their customers. So I think there needs to be you know, organizational commitment, and we'll talk about some of these factors in terms of getting to that end state, We'll you know uncover some recommendations on the on this podcast how how you get there, and the key thing is that also keep in mind, technology companies are there, but also so are others, right? There are actually companies across segments that are well on their way. So we've got you know twenty nine percent of organizations today. This is another actually pretty important finding are already expanding their shift from product to product. They're past that experimentation. They're seeing results, and they're scaling this across the business. So really, the key thing is, you know, look at this data, identify where you are in terms of this, this progression on the journey, and then figure out how you get to scaling, to operationalizing these practices. Because I think there's, in terms of the data that we see around how much easier and better and more visible things get, when you shift it to a product model, uh, it really is all about how quickly you get your organization there. So Great. And I think you touched on a couple of things that we want to we wanna springboard off into. So you talked about you know, how we're going to get from these early stages to operationalizing, operationalizing. 
It's a hard word to say. What I wanted to do is uh, dig a little deeper into the findings of the report, because what was revealed actually was that there are certain things, certain factors out of those seven, seven that we mentioned that help organizations progress if they're doing them well. And there are a couple that actually hinder their progress if they're having challenges in those areas. So I, what I would like to do is just address those one by one through the rest of the, the rest of our chat and talk through talk through those factors. And maybe you can give us your take on both the survey responses, kind of the distribution of responses and what, what that tells you, and also what that systems data that you mentioned that comes straight out of those value streams, what it tells us about the challenges that are occurring in those transformations. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so the first area that we can dive into is a lack of customer centricity or how easily can organizations identify their internal and their external customers. So analysis in the survey revealed that low scores in this area really hinder the progress toward a product operating model. So can you tell me what's your take on what those report responses reveal and what the system's data tells us about about that issue? Yeah, and this one might seem, I don't know if it's surprising or, or it just seems almost trivial, but the reality is, and the data backs this up, the majority of technology organizations that I personally interact with and meet with and whose transformations I'm supporting, the teams can't clearly identify who their customer is. And, and that's a really big problem, right? And this is exactly what we're seeing, that value streams are delivering. And of course, again, we're able to collect all of this data. Um, the way that the tooling works, we're actually able to, to, to see how things are connected to the customer or not, whether the customer specified. And because we've come from this project legacy, where again, work is being dumped over the fence for technology teams to do, the technology teams do not know who the customer is, that, that legacy is still there. right? So even though the teams may have gone agile, even though the teams may have DevOps practices in place, because we have old school and fundamentally misaligned ways of actually connecting those teams to their customers and to their, to their work, the, the organizations lack this customer centricity. And there's, you know, the bottom line, in my point of view, is that that's actually just, just no excuse. So we just, the value streams need to be defined. Every team needs to know which customer they support. And it's not that you might have a, 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 a basically a, a, an easy mapping overnight, right? A lot of organizations go from portfolios of hundreds or thousands of applications, business value streams that are disconnected from technology value streams and so on. But as soon as you start on a journey, and start with the customer in mind. In the end, this is all about delivering. Value streams are all about delivering value to a customer. Uh, you just make sure that the way things are structured, and even if they're not structured the way you want them to be in your end state, every single team and every single team of teams, so every value streams, needs to know what customer they're delivering to. Those customers can be internal, they can be external. In the end, it's just all product value streams, whether you're building APIs or platforms uh, or mobile applications. So I think what this is showing is that while I think we're quite far away, you know, quite a ways in terms of the adoption of Agile and DevOps, it's really antithetical to Agile and DevOps to be adopting those practices without without the customer in mind, right? Without but the customers being specified, without what that customer centricity that that uh, Gene Kim, you know, made one of the five ideals in the in the Unicorn Project. So I think the the guidance here that I would have is just make sure that every single team, every value stream knows what customer they're delivering for. And then, of course, what will happen is that you'll start over time aligning the work of those teams to what the customer is pulling, which is what these lean principles are all about, and really aligning 
team structure and delivery to, to customers, which is how, of course, we all need to reverse and, and approach Conway's law, which is, in the end, we want our organization structured, and that's another interesting finding, but we want our organization structured to deliver value to our customers, not, not just to be internally focused. Yes, and it's a perfect segue into our, our next factor. The next factor that the survey pulled as, as important or really influential was what the report calls build and run teams. And what it's really about is how teams are organized and resourced. And this emerged as the most influential positive factor that helps organizations progress. So can you tell us a little bit about how teams are organized and resourced differently in product-based organizations versus project-based organizations? Yeah, and I think this is a, you'll see that we're seeing, I think, a fairly common theme, Debbie, in some of the survey findings, right? Where like building, the, the more autonomous teams can be, and that's from a point of view of their funding, as we'll talk about shortly, from the, the findings we have around the, the dependencies between those teams, how teams are organized into teams of teams as well. What we've seen, and I think what we know of the best practices that a lot of technology companies have published in terms of the way that they work, is that making sure that you've got that kind of autonomy is absolutely key to moving fast. Right, and in the end, what you, one of the core parts of the shift from project to product is, of course, accelerating the flow of value to customers. That's really, you know, what we need to do is be able to measure that flow and then improve that flow. And what we're seeing is if that teams actually have autonomy over how they're delivering that value, how they're actually structured. Because, for example, if a whole lot more work is taken on by the teams, if the teams are those value streams, the team of teams level can't then draw resources from elsewhere in the organization, bring on another agile team, let's say scrum team, uh, to help them meet on those goals, and constantly has to go back to very slow funding processes around that. So you know, go back to basically, let's say, wait for the next annual budget cycle to do it. They're not going to be able to move fast. And what we're seeing, of course, in terms of high performance is the faster that these teams can move, the more control and autonomy there is in terms of supporting whatever impediments are in, in their way, which really requires this continuous feedback cycle that's sprint-based, monthly, quarterly, and not just annual, in terms of how basically how the team is able to allocate investment and resources and staff, you're just moving very slowly. You're not, you're not fixing those impediments to flow, which often have to do with Something we're probably going to talk about in a moment, which is which is dependencies, right? Because now I do want to I do want to characterize something here because I think the we've seen this really important trend in terms of how teams are structured for for owner in terms of ownership, right? And I think when we are about to start talking about dependencies, teams will have dependencies upstream and downstream of themselves, and so let's say DevOps practices help address some a portion of the downstream dependencies where a team can't easily deploy. You know, their own uh, the, the features or the the products that they're creating for a customer. Teams will often have upstream dependencies, and those have to do with approvals and budgeting processes and the like. And then teams will have dependencies between each other, and value streams will have dependencies between each other. So the magical combination again is when those teams both build and run and are connected into that work intake, that planning, that budgeting process. And once you've got that, you know you can get to the point where you're moving at the speed of a startup. I've heard you give a great analogy around kind of that budgeting piece because the way teams are organized is incredibly important and the way they're resourced is very important. And the, the companies you're working with are, are large. They have established annual budget cycles. This is not something that's easy for them to change. 
But can you, you've given a great analogy around kind of a in terms of sales and marketing, what people do with budgets and pouring money into programs that aren't working. Can you talk a little bit about how to get the same visibility and flexibility that there is in other business areas for development organizations? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do find myself, Debbie, using this analogy more and more is that the, you know, fundamentally what value chain management provides is that it makes it makes software development and, and innovation measurable, right? And we want it to be measurable because when we measure the fact that underinvesting in tech debt slows things down, we make the case for investing in tech debt and speeding things up. It's just as one example. And so when you look, when I speak to very senior business leaders, so basically CEOs, CXOs, and the like, uh, I do often pose this challenge. It's like, well, you've made sales and marketing completely measurable. You've got all your funnel and conversion metrics. You know exactly how each region is performing. You know how long it takes to onboard every salesperson. Meanwhile, you're spending half or more of your entire company budget on technology. How is it that none of that's measurable? Right? How is it that you're you're not even you're assessing costs constantly, but you're not actually assessing performance or the returns that you're getting on those costs? And then, of course, the the crazy thing about this, and this is where I think the survey data really backs up this this concern of mine, and I think this concern of, of many technology executives out there is if you don't have a faster feedback loop and you're actually waiting to assess performance or assess how return on equity or assess ROI on your technology investments on an annual basis. You're you're the opposite of any notion of agile or lean, right? You've actually got annual cycles, and on top of that, you're, if you're only measuring costs on those cycles and not measuring value, you know, then again, we're not you're not able to understand what investment is delivering more value. Uh, so I think sales and marketing, and I think by the way, the the, neat, the the interesting thing is that some of my original inspirations for the Viz tool came from you know, how Marquette. I was amazed how Marquette worked, right? It actually made marketing investment more measurable. Mm-hmm. And and that actually helped marketing teams. It helped marketing teams make the case that we needed to invest in these marketing programs. And if those teams could only make the case once a year at budget time, and if those teams did not have autonomy to try out four different campaigns and see which one actually drove the most results, then we know that they're not functioning teams. Yet that's exactly how we're treating our technology teams. right? So the same way that, let's say, marketing teams functions, function today, they're able to build and run their campaigns understand the results of their campaigns, and on a weekly or monthly basis, pivot to understand, okay, well, let's, let's invest more effort here. And, we need that, and it's the same thing with sales, by the way, right? If sales teams only assess the performance of their territories once a year, you know, they would be nowhere. Their learning cycles are much too slow. And so that's really what we're seeing, I think, in, in, in this result in the survey, is that's what's happening today for the companies who are, have not made the shift effectively from project to product, have not put in place a way of measuring and value management, is that they're falling back into those old cycles and, and you just can't innovate in technology that way. Right, and just to close out this one, do you think it's, it's that lack of visibility, that kind of black box of IT that, uh, I always wouldn't call it one of these stats from the report, that you know, what we saw in value streams is that Business leaders believe IT teams can deliver 10 times more than their actual capacity. So there's, they, they don't understand what's happening because they can't even see inside the actual processes. Yeah, so I think for the last 15, no, 10 to 20 years of, of my life, I've, I've seen evidence and, and believe that the problem is the way that we measure and the fact that we're measuring the wrong things and that we're using different metrics, right? Mm-hmm. In sales and marketing, they're very clear metrics. They're pipeline metrics, 
and then there are dollars or currents, <laughs> whatever the local currencies are, and then there are the conversions between those. And until, and of course, and the amazing thing about that is that we've got, we aligned the organization on, on the same page in terms of driving those outcomes, which of course, where the dollars are a way that we measure the, our market share, how much value is being delivered to, to customers willing to, uh, to pass over those dollars, right? And until we have a common way of measuring in technology, we're never, large organizations will never get there, right? Small organizations are a little different. You've got a great product and an engineering leader. They know how to remove impediments, make the case, and so on. But for software at scale, it, this doesn't work until you've got a common way of measuring value. And of course, the challenge with software is that measuring value purely with dollars, the dollars are a lagging indicator of the things that we build, right? When we're trying to bring new features or products to market, we need to understand, are we bringing them to market fast enough for them to then to turn into those happy customers, engaged users and, and dollars, whether it's direct dollars or, or indirect dollars through marketing or channels or, or partners. So the core thing is, is until we're, again, the thing is, until we have a way of measuring flow, we fall back into these things. And of course, then we, what, one of the challenges that we see is which, which is why I think it's so, you know, I've got an amazing anecdote from a, uh, from one of our global banking customers that saw as soon as they put in place build and run teams, they saw an acceleration of their flow. They saw things go from, I think the numbers were 67 days down to under 30 in terms of how quickly things being delivered. So all of a sudden you can make this very fast economic case, but you can only make that economic case for making the shift to build and run teams. In this case, this organization decided that teams would self-certify their own releases because that would make things go even faster then, and then things accelerate further. But you can only make that case in, if you have a way of measuring that flow, and you, if you have that leading indicator for a business metric like profit or, or bookings. Right. And we're, we're going to come back to flow, so don't worry. I'm going to give you lots of chances to, to talk about that a little bit later on. But just to touch on the point um, that you just made there around increasing velocity by self-certifying releases. So that touches on one of the next factors that... Uh, the report revealed as important, which was dependency management. This is a factor that positively, you know, influences progress in the way an organization progresses to a product model. And it's obviously a huge pain point, especially for really complex or highly regulated companies or companies with massive development teams. So, and the report, you know, tells us that this is a significant challenge. We've got something like 87% of respondents who are impacted by either technical process or skill dependencies. Um, what what's your reaction to that? Does that strike you as true or? Yeah, so I think I'm going to be a little cheeky here, but I think the fact that 87 percent of respondents think they're impacted by dependency management it means 13 percent haven't admitted it yet. So <laughs> because now, of course, in the way that the questions were were structured, it's uh, more specific than that. But I think the key thing is dependency management is one of the most important things to understand to guide your entire journey. In the end, the way we structure organizations, the way we structure our software architecture, the way we structure big initiatives like shifts to cloud, in the end, what I'm seeing from customers that are moving fast, that have made that progression uh, to operationalizing the, the product model, is that they understand this and the decisions that they make are around finding those dependencies because almost all the bottlenecks that we see, and of course, you know, let's let's just go quickly back into the into the lean thinking here. But in the end, any organizational change that we make, any investment that we make that's not at a constraint is is an illusion, right? That's that's what we learned from from Goldratt in the theory of constraints. So it's really all about understanding what the dependencies are, which of those dependencies is a bottleneck, and then relieving the bottleneck. That's how you go faster. 
And in some cases, those are slow security processes and approval processes and a friction in deployment or in testing and in budgets, as we mentioned, and approvals and so on, or between teams who depend on each other for APIs or data. So what, in terms of what good looks like at the high-performing technology companies that I've worked with, they are constantly managing dependencies. And that means every single review process, whether it's every sprint, every uh, month, every, every quarter, dependencies are always surfaced. And they're surfaced, of course, with, you know, they need to be surfaced with, with data. Like this is what's blocking the most of our work. Uh, this is where we need the most help. And then the dependencies, resolving those dependencies is, is prioritized. So we're not only prioritizing the work, but we're prioritizing the improvement of our work, which really, for most organizations, once they get, I should mention, once because we will have to touch on this finding as well in a second, but once work in progress gets under control, then the next big thing that I absolutely see and I think has to be prioritized is that dependency management. And that's exactly what we found in the data here, right? And that's where, again, almost every engineering development leader will tell you they innately understand it, but if we're not structuring an operating model that helps you identify invested dependencies, nothing's getting better. So that's really what it comes back to, is that, again, that operating model that supports improving dependencies, resolving dependencies. Right. And then, of course, some of the findings we have, I should mention, Debbie, are just as depressing <laughs> as always, right? Like, completed code is commonly sitting there for three months, even while... Like the dev teams have the DevOps practices, it's still not seeing the light of day because it's going into staging and all those sorts of things. So there's some really important findings. I think the, the ones, the results of this are not shocking in, in terms of what we found, but there's mm -hmm. still a problem. And so I think the main takeaway is, yes, everyone understands they have a problem. They need to improve their um, practices around testing, around automation, around DevOps, around uh, security scanning, all of these sorts of things. But the key takeaway for me is, you need to systematize a way of improving that. Because again, if you're not constantly prioritizing every road mapping meeting, every planning meeting, um, every budgeting meeting, the improvement of work and the resolution of dependencies, they're actually getting worse over time, not better. Right. Make continuous improvement a goal in and of itself. And coming back to you know your, your point you made previously around the visibility, seeing the bottlenecks is the first step and then addressing them. If you can't see them, you can't fix them, right? That's right. Now it's actually much worse than that because we I guess we did skip over or you you mentioned it. I, I do want to kind of get back to it as I think one of the most profound findings in in this report is that business leaders believe that their technology teams have 10 times more capacity to deliver than they actually have. Right? So you've got these teams who are struggling with dependencies. You've got business leaders who thinks, well, we just we have X number of staff or FTEs or or contractors. Of course we can do this. And, and it's that size of that mismatch that keeps making the problem worse. And again, until there's an operating model that's scaled up, that provides you that visibility, it'll just keep getting worse, not better. And this is why things will often slow down in large organizations as more staff are added instead of speed up. Those problems are just being exacerbated. Well, we'll touch on more guidance at, at the end, of course, Debbie, but I think, the first of all, seeing this data for yourself, in your organization is, is critical. And then charting the path to improvement. These aren't overnight improvements, but there's a set of steps that you can take that others are taking. I mean, I think that's that's one of the biggest things here is that like you've got more than a third of your peers who are probably ahead of you on this, if you're falling into that two-thirds in terms of where you are on, on the 
uh, adoption curve. And, and so the question is, how can you quickly get there? And the only real way to get there is to start out by getting that visibility. Right. Well, moving on to the next one, Mick, this is sort of linked to dependency management. Um, this one, the report characterizes as rapid customer feedback loops. So what this question or this factor really talks about is quick feedback loops that let customer feedback be incorporated within weeks and having independent release cycles that aren't you know, hindered by weighty processes or governance. So the report tells us that, you know, interestingly, 30% of organizations can release quickly, but they only do it in cases of like emergency or bugs or outages. So maybe their limitations are not so technical, but maybe more governance driven. And this is a bit of a more positive uh, finding I found anyway, is that over half of the respondents indicate that so, at least some of their products have an independent path to production. So, you know, I'd like to get your your take on this. Is that is this something that you see folks incorporating? Is this an area they're addressing early in their shift from project to product? Yeah. So I thought this this was this was actually a super interesting finding because what we're seeing is that the fast paths are there. Now, I do want to look at the negative briefly, right? There's the fact that 70% of organizations don't have a fast path to key defect and security fixes. 70% is a lot. And I think this is why when you look at some of the surveys, for example, about the, you know, the log, what happened with Log4j, which is some, a very severe and, and public thing, how slow, the fact that so many organizations took, took, organizations took months to actually resolve that. Even though this was, of course, escalated to the you know to the, to the highest levels of the organization, so I think, but like you're saying, over half of them that there is some kind of independent independent fast path. So I think what's happened is that DevOps practices they've worked at least, and some in some cases, of course, it takes too much heroics, and the fast paths take are, are not easy or safe enough, and can actually cause additional problems. But my sense is that we're tracking. Reasonably well in terms of this DevOps and continuous integration, continuous delivery maturity journey that a lot of organizations are on. So, but the irony, of course, is that the majority of that work can't take that fast path. So, what you've got basically a, a system that that has this path, fast path within it, that the business, the customers, don't almost never get to experience except in an emergency. And then there's another problem. Of course, what's happening is because the the regular work that they they work can't doesn't take the fast path. You know, customers of course still want things quickly. Business partners want things quickly. So we're still seeing very much the the, the that constant. This is I think a, a really important point and data point that we found in the survey is that constant reprioritization, right? So you've got teams who and value streams who are you know fast tracking some kind of defect work or security work. Uh, that's causing other work to get shelved. Um, and all of this is very unpredictable. And then some work, like really important epics or features that need to get delivered, they're just taking forever and multiple quarters or release iterations to get through. This is one of those super interesting insights from the flow load with aging, a data science insight that, that we've actually we've been experimenting with and looking at customers' data with. It's just how much stuff gets stuck in basically in not getting finished, which of course then triggers more reprioritization, which triggers more work in progress. And in the end, these kind of di very dysfunctional value streams, right? So now we've long had guidance like stop starting, start finishing and so on, clear your backlogs. But it's really not just about backlogs, right? It's about making sure that you actually have fast path, not just for emergencies, but that you're constantly 
getting your flow time, so that's how really fast your path is to releasing meaningful work, that you're, you're basically you're getting your flow time to the feedback loop that's needed for that part of the, of the business. So I know for my own value streams uh, that, that I directly manage, I get very concerned if anything gets over 14 days flow time because that's some very slow feedback. And I'm, I'm talking for, for, you know, for interest, you know, for not just for urgent work, but for, for all the work that's flowing through the value streams. And I know, of course, that we'll end up with even more reprioritization. Not, not that we don't, like big things will often have to get reprioritized. But if basically the work that teams can take on doesn't have all that burden in it, they're able to, again, you know, with a high degree of autonomy, go through the work, release it, and with the, all the safety nets that they need to do that, then all of these things, that constant reprioritization, basically, and the thrashing that comes from it stops. But I think the most important thing from the business point of view, from the point of view of how we're trying to deliver and prioritize for customers, and what we do when is that the feedback loops are there. Right, we see you can start doing that A/B testing. You can start seeing did that particular new authentication method actually get us more customers all the way through their, you know, their their customer journey and those sorts of things. So, I mean, you know, this is uh, I think we've we, this has been a theme of of since for the last five years that I've certainly noticed, which is that the number one thing to focus on in terms of that project to product journey is shortening your flow time, and in the end, because it'll shorten that feedback loop, and then stop all those value streams from from being jammed with reprioritization old constantly aging work and and too much work in progress well and that actually leads me directly into my next uh, factor that i wanted to talk about which is measurement so one of the next things and one of the you know quite important factors in a company's progress is related to delivery team metrics. So we all, you know, we know that old adage, what gets measured gets managed. And the report actually revealed that when flow metrics and business outcomes were measured, but not just measured, incorporated into operational reviews, organizations were much more likely to progress toward that product-based model. So maybe you could dive a little deeper into talking about both what the the report shows. I mean, one of the things it shows is the 51% of folks are still primarily measuring with quality and cost metrics. So can you talk a little bit about the gap between what is being measured, what should be being measured, and maybe how how organizations can get there? Well, I, I did five years ago in the book, and we're still seem to be moving really slowly. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's Just wrong. recap, recap yeah. for us. <laughs> no, it's it's really interesting because I I thought, and again, the survey shows how that I was wrong, obviously, but I thought it'd be easier for organizations to adopt this this new way of measuring. And yet, what we're still seeing is the, the quality and cost metrics. So how many you know, resources and costs we have here and defect rates. You know, we're still measuring just, just one important but fundamentally small aspect of value streams and nothing to do with actual value delivered, right? The agile and Doran engineering metrics, again, some really important things there for teams, but I cannot imagine you know, reviewing uh, a portfolio of value streams and wondering and, and just reviewing them based on the release frequency. Like I know to us release frequency is irrelevant because what we care about is what's in those releases. And once you get past a certain number of releases, you obviously want to make sure nothing happens to get in the way of that, but that that metric to a technology company becomes, you know, tertiary, not 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 even secondary in terms of measuring value, right? So, so I think that that so of course the question to me is yes, we're seeing this finding. Yes, the you know, and this I think this is a really important finding in in the survey. So the question is why, and I think what's happened is organizations are are measuring what's easy, 
right? And there was, let's go back to marketing. There was a point at which it was, it was pretty hard to measure marketing campaigns. And uh, until more automation, more tooling, more platforms for marketing automation got put into place. And there was this really interesting finding by the Value Management Consortium I, I saw that there are the organizations measuring flow, which you know, in terms of our findings, are only like eight percent who are in a really disciplined way are, are measuring flow is what we're finding. That VSM con- and see the VSM consortium survey found that sixty-two point five percent of organizations do it manually. They know that it's important to measure flow, but they're doing it manually. And, and of course, how do you scale that? Right. Right. So, I think the you know in the end, it's organization in terms of getting through their journey quickly and meaningfully, you have to put a strong med- measurement foundation in place. And, it's, and, and that needs to be an investment. right? And putting in the review cadence around that needs to be investment. Because if you're measuring, but you're not reviewing it every, every sprint, every month, every quarter, and every fiscal year, something's wrong as well. Because people are not focusing anymore on, on improving flow or they're living more value and seeing how that drives a customer net promoter score, they're going back to their proxy metrics around how stable things are or how many you know, severity two defects there are. Again, important metrics for teams to focus on if that's the bottleneck or the constraint, but not in terms of an operating model that has us invest in and accelerate innovation. So I think that the, the really big thing here is that for the, and now again, the good news is a bunch of organizations have systematized this, right? It's actually, it is, it is very feasible and not that hard to, to, to systematize and to measure in this way. But I think there needs to be commitment to that at multiple levels of the organization. So again, the most senior leadership, finance, CFOs need to be committed to measuring value, not just cost, which seems like a really easy and simple thing to, to say, because why would we invest in every, anything? Unless we had a value metric for it. So again, at the highest level, that has to happen for technology. The next level down of lines of business or, or, or divisions or value streams themselves need to be committed to measuring flow and to actually understanding where that investment go, is going in terms of flow distribution. How much are we investing? What is our capacity for new feature work? How much should we invest in tech debt? And elevating and celebrating things like significant progress in, let's say, uh, resolving tech debt in a way that accelerated flow, in a way that drove uh, a business or, and financial metric. So I just, you know, I think at this stage, it's, it, it's kind of, I think, a similar maturation as we saw in sales and marketing automation and in supply chain automation and all those other sort of parallel universes. All that has to happen now. The organizations that invest in it will pull far ahead from the ones that don't. Mm. Just like we saw and things like the state of DevOps report, how much further organizations that invest in DevOps early are pulling out ahead of the pack. It's now time to take the same principles, but but at the organizational level. Right. It's that real mindset shift as well, right? So having the tools to measure and having the discipline to measure the new things, not just the easy things, like you said. Yeah. And the interesting thing is like if you actually look at Again, back to my own experiences at senior business level, they want senior business leaders, they want to be able to measure a leading indicator for a financial metric that they're probably compensated on. <laughs> so, right. so the thing is, we, it's, there's a lot of desire to do it, but you can't do it by running reports on, on Jira or Azure DevOps, right? You actually need to invest in, in a measurement layer that's going to be accurate and scalable and automated. 
Well, certainly one of the most more important factors, that's for sure. Um, and the last one that I would love to get your take on is one that the report revealed as actually doubly important. So backlog management and prioritization, which is really uh, um, kind of a question about how mature the product management function is within an organization. This emerged as a factor that both helps folks progress if they're doing it well. So if they scored high, they were likely to progress. But if it was a challenge for them, it actually blocks their progress. So I'd love to understand from you why you think this one is so crucial, first of all. And second of all, can you talk to us about what the distinguishing characteristics are of a strong product management function and a weak product management function? Yeah, I think that this is a this was another really interesting one to me that that matched a number of my experiences. And I think it's a lot of organizations are putting in whether it's lean portfolio management or product management practices or Scrum at scale or all these sorts of things. There's been a lot around this journey in those organizations making the shift, and it, it really is a question of how effective is it, right? So, uh, you know, I'll never forget when I was working as a, as a, a global bank, who in the course of one quarter, they have approximately twenty thousand project managers for technology. Yep. Yep. Wow. It, <laughs> sounds sounds a, like a rounding error. <laughs> yeah, it's a so they re, they renamed the the majority of them their their job descriptions to product manager, right? Well, that's not going to get you an effective. And they started putting training programs in place, so it was the, kind of the right direction. But it takes more than that to create an effective product management function. The challenges, and by the way, some some people can actually get, or I think in my experience, a significant number of people can get retooled from project management practices to product management practices as well. It, it, it requires a different set of skills and some growth mindset and so on. But a lot of organizations complain that there's not enough product managers, that there's not they, they don't have them in the organization. The really the I think the bigger challenges that the operating model of the organization is not suited for product management to thrive, right? They're, they're, you've got product owners or business partners disconnected from how, the way development happens, and then these things are, are not working effectively. So I think there, there, there are a couple of things here. And again, we're seeing, in terms of what good looks like for organizations that do this well, they're putting in additional pieces to basically make sure that Product management is very closely embedded, whether it's through a two-in-the-box model, it's through Amazon single-threaded ownership structure, which Amazon uses you know, for parts of for parts of Amazon, because they'll also use a two-in-the-box model. But that there's there's an organizational structure that supports technology and product people working closely together. And I think the key thing is working closely together is making those those trade-offs, right? Making the trade-offs of how much do we invest in platforms, how much do we invest in tech debt versus how much do we invest in taking on that next set of features or taking on additional tech debt to hit a particular milestone or 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 release that we're going to need to market publicly. So, I think the you know the finding is sort of not a surprise because when you come from a long history of project management, you don't have that discipline. So I think the whole question is, how do we most effectively, most quickly bring in those practices? And personally, my guidance is to adopt kind of the modern practices that technology companies use, such as OKR, such as roadmapping, but to connect them up to technology, right? To make sure that these things are, are really joined at the hip and they should, they should be joined at the hips through flow metrics. So you know, I was on a, giving this guidance earlier today to, to the CTO of an organization and the SVP of engineering where, you know, 
the, the guide in their case, of course, it depends on the context. What they needed to do is all of their engineering managers needed to be responsible for the flow metrics and flow distribution while they were, of course, deploying a way of connecting that to through OKRs, objectives and key results, to the actual business plans and, and the uh, strategic portfolio uh, level. So I think the practices are pretty well understood. There's tons of guidance out there on how to put in place effective product management. It's just we have to be, create, create the systems and conditions to do that. And that really has to do with, again, making sure that you're adopting ways of measuring flow, that that flow is connected to business outcomes. And then you've got you've operationalized this as part of your review cadence. That's part of your quarterly business reviews, your quarterly product reviews, your road mapping, um, your PI planning, however you approach it. That those those things those things are connected and functioning as one. Yeah, fantastic. And it all, you know, it all is a little interrelated, right? The measuring, the discipline, and the visibility all together. So well, I mean, that brings us to kind of the end of the the influential factors. And thank you for going through all those in such detail. Of course, we'll drop the link to the report in the show notes. And we're unfortunately we're coming. Fortunately for me, we're coming to the end of our time. But um, before we wrap up today, I wondered, uh, you know, you've dropped a lot of nuggets of advice throughout the the conversation today. Do you think you could kind of sum up maybe in two or three practical things a leader could do to move this shift forward if they wanted to just turn off their phone and go forward with their transformation? What, what are the things they could start doing today? Yeah, so I think the, the, the key thing is you just need to find the fast path to operationalizing for your organization, right? And I think that what we've learned over the last five years of project-to-product transformations is that th- there's really two strategies that we see and kind of strategies in between. One is to go breadth first and to say, okay, let's get Flow metrics visible. Let's get the flow distribution. That's so critical to that product management discipline, right? Another interesting finding I I, uh, I did want to men- call this one out is that weak product management discipline is just all defects and features, and and you don't actually have that balance. Strong product management discipline. What we found is debts and risks are actually managed as part of roadmaps, right? So go breadth first and make sure you've got all of those metrics, all of that visibility, and that you're using that as as part of that reporting structure, and really just focus. Focus on the on on the visibility and focus a bit less on improving flow tomorrow, right? You, you, you'll now see that maybe some value streams are taking 80, 90 days to deliver, but at least just get that visibility to see, well, how consistent is that? Do we have some signing stars? So really focus on going really breadth first and getting all of that visibility and systematizing it as part of your 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 metrics and your regular reporting. Now, the other approach that we're seeing, another another strategy is to really go depth first, to take five, six, eight value streams. And to say, let's get the visibility for those, but let's also operationalize the improvement. Let's operationalize accelerating flow. Let's make sure that the product managers or business partners that we have have been educated on the economics of flow and understand that over the course of a year, they'll get more out if they let the teams focus on tech than than less out, right? So in that case, you're really going more depth first and, and enabling those that product operating model fully in the part of the organization. Or you can go, of course, in between, right? So I think number one is just just create that path of how you're going to get to, and this will depend on your organization's scale, how broadly you're doing this, uh, how many teams you've got, and all of this. But, but create that fast path to operationalizing it, and then create just a practical roadmap to that, right? This is just another initiative uh, don't be waterfall about it, right? Measure how you're doing. Because <laughs> of course, that's the whole point of the flow metrics. Measure exactly where you're at and are we improving, are we not? And then I think the key thing is just, just 
makes that measurement simple, right? Like everyone's overloaded with dashboards, with more KPIs, with another 10 key results to track and so on. The, the, the point of the flow metrics is that, that there's just the four of them in flow distribution. Focus on those, see how you're tracking, you know, both in terms of getting that visibility and then actually charting that path to improvement. And I think, again, going back to, you know, Debbie, I can't help relate this back to, to, to sales and marketing since I think it is a, a, such an important analogy. Just invest in that measurement and in kind of the, the discipline and the creative thinking that it enables, right? Because once you start highlighting dependencies, the teams will actually you know, understand they have the autonomy to go and tackle those dependencies and invest in those dependencies and make a business case for how they can move faster or how they can remove some of their, their inefficiencies or some of the bottlenecks that, that they're seeing. So I think you know, definitely chart out. Again, I think I just keep coming back to that same thing. Is I just want to see more organizations getting to the point where they're operationalizing and scaling, I think that the, basically the business benefits we see, they're, they're tremendous, right? Because you can gain such massive efficiencies and time to market and so much more resilience and, and modernization opportunity by adopting these practices. So I think, and, and just as a, as a final thing, I think the, the commitment to this path and to operationalizing it does have to come from senior leadership. Right? Is if the organization get pulled, pulled, get, is getting pulled in 10 directions or think they need to get perfect at CICD before they can invest in, in this new operating model, you're, you're completely on the wrong track. Kind of the end goal needs to be how much value are we delivering to customers? How are we excelling that value? Uh, and how are we measuring that? And how is it driving uh, business and market performance? So I think the leadership and the board need to be that catalyst, need to support this just the same way they supported the sales and marketing transformations. Yeah, great advice. Well, I think that uh, that brings me to the end of my list of questions. Mick, thanks for being such a great sport and uh, <laughs> being in the hot seat today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Debbie. And yeah, I hope everyone just digs into the survey and and uh, looks at how it can help them, you know, how, how, really how it can help you make that case for moving your organization faster to that operationalizing and scaling. So. Thanks for joining us for Mic Plus One today. A link to the report and other resources will be available in the show notes. To stay up to date on the project to product movement, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or using the hashtags Mic Plus One or Project to Product. If you're looking to dive deeper, check out my book, Project to Product, How to Survive and Thrive in the Age of Digital Disruption with the Flow Framework. All author proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology. And with that, thanks and until next time.